All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Before we start, let's pray. As always, we want to ask, as David prayed already for us, for God to speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we are, again, so thankful that you are here with us. That is really just an awesome thing to think about, that the creator of the world, the great I am, the Alpha and Omega, would be in the presence of human beings, sinful human people. And Lord God, even more greater is that you would desire to speak to us and to guide us and lead us. And I pray, Lord, that we would truly understand this morning as we open your word and read it, what your word has to say to your church, to your people. Lord, that we would take heed to your warnings that you spoke through the prophet Isaiah to ancient Israel. And Lord, we might hear your words and we might heed them and follow after you, Lord God. And even those of us in this room who may need some correction or encouragement, that we would hear you loud and clear this morning. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for this place that you've given us. We thank you most of all that you are sovereign and in control of all things. And you know the beginning and the end. Help us to trust you more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. And if I really, uh, John, when he prayed that first prayer, I don't know if you remember or if you were in here. I was like, dude, he's taking my sermon already. That was really great because I was thinking of as this title of the, this morning's sermon is stay, stay focused on the Lord. There are so many things, like John said, in this world that can really take your mind off the Lord and get distracted and really become a little fearful. Specifically in our political situation over the past few weeks has got really crazy. If you're able to switch off the news and all that, well, you're better than me because... I wanted to watch and see all the things that are going on. And sometimes, honestly, it can be a little crazy and and frustrating. And like, what is going on? Are we in those times where everyone's calling, what is it, justice, injustice, and injustice, justice? Just totally backwards in a number of ways. But the great thing is that we are focused on the Lord. At least I hope we are. And so that's really what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we stay focused on the Lord in the midst of chaos and tragedy and struggles and, you know, even in the midst of fear. I mean, all of us are fearful of something. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was looking up fear, and I heard a great quote by another pastor. He says, what we fear controls us. Think about that. What you fear controls you. And in a sense, it can, right? It controls in the way that we respond or the places that we go or decisions that we make. Sometimes fear can become so bad that it becomes a phobia. That really kind of gets a little overwhelming, and we tend to do things that are not normal. It, as I was looking up phobias, they, I looked up, there's like hundreds of phobias, and there were some that I've never heard of, and I wanted to share those with you this morning. And if, you're, if one of these describes you, I'm, let me just say I'm not trying to make fun of you at all. Just let me say that, but... They're just weird phobias, and I think some of them I might have. This one I don't have. It's, there's a phobia for the fear of food. It's called sibophobia. It says that uh, this phobia may come from a bad episode while eating like choking, and so someone's afraid to eat. I was like, wow, I didn't know that was a phobia. This one I really did not. It's called kinemortophobia. Has anybody heard of that? It's a fear of zombies. 
or being afraid of being attacked by a zombie and becoming one. That's a, an actual fear. I'm not lying. Disposophobia. Let me say that again. Disposophobia. The fear of getting rid of stuff. Believe me, we have that phobia at this church. As we've been cleaning up over the past few weeks, we're like, where did, we've had this since like day one of the church. Disposophobia. Obviously, it, it triggers extreme hoarding. So that show hoarders, if that's still out there, that they probably have that. Allodoxophobia. It's the fear of opinions. It's being, it's, and it says being afraid of hearing what others are thinking of you. That's probably legit, right? It could be legit. This one, uh, most people get on Mondays. Ergophobia, the fear of work. The fear of work. Some of us might get that tomorrow morning, right? This one is for mostly, it mostly affects kids. It's called didascalinophobia, the fear of school. Does anybody have that? Does anybody want to raise their hand that's still in school? Yeah. This one was, it's called omphalophobia. Phobia, the fear of belly buttons. Touching and looking at navels is fearful. Some people have this, telephonophobia. Telephonophobia, there it is. Telephonophobia, the fear of talking on the phone. I think teenagers have that, right? They just text. No talking on the phone. Why are, are you mad? Why is somebody calling me? Why don't they just text me, right? Why are they calling me? Telephona, telephono. Phobia. Wow. And then globophobia. This one I think I've heard of. Globophobia. The fear of balloons. Did anybody have that fear? I'm not making fun of you. This one I'm going to mispronounce, but it, and it's like the longest word I've ever seen. It's called hippophotomonstrosaquipedaliophobia. I'm not going to say that again. It's the fear of long words. I was like, are you kidding me? The fear of long words. I think we have that in our, we've been going through the book of Joshua in our uh, young adult study, and we get some of those long words. We're like, yeah, that guy right there. But those are real phobias, according to this website. And again, a phobia is a fear that is just like gone beyond. Like you're, it just cripples you, and you can't do anything about it. The point I'm trying, the point I'm going to make here is sometimes it can cause you to do things that might seem irrational, and we're going to see in this morning's text that Judah is being warned not to become so fearful that they seek to do things that are irrational, and so we'll see that this morning in the text. So turn with me to Isaiah. We're going to pick up in verse 11 and read through verse 22. And just by way of a little background on this, real quick, if you remember, Pastor John was teaching this last week, that what's going on is Assyria, in north of the northern tribe of Israel, was going to swoop in and attack the northern tribe of Israel. And eventually they were going to come so far down south to the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah. And that's who Isaiah is prophesying to. And so because of this great army that is going to come and attack both tribes of Israel, God is going to give instruction to Isaiah, who's representing his people. And then in turn, Isaiah 
is going to use that to speak to not only his disciples, who he has a group of people that are with him, that are, you know, maybe other prophets of his, and eventually, obviously, he wants to speak to all of Judah. So that's a quick little background of what's going on. So with that understanding, let's pick up in verse 11. And the Lord says this. He says, For thus the Lord spoke to me. Again, this is Isaiah speaking. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that the people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary, both to the house of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. They will fall and be broken, and they will even be snared and caught. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to the word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. And so that's the word that Isaiah gets from the Lord, and then he in turn shares with his disciples on how to speak to the rest of the nation of Israel particularly or specifically the southern tribe of Judah. So let's go back now and look at, let's break this down. And we're going to look first at what God says to Isaiah, and that's going to be through verses 11 through 15. So again, God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah right now is being identified with his people. So it's not that Isaiah is in fear of doing these things, but remember, he's standing up and he's the representative of Judah. To God, And so God is speaking to him as he's speaking to the nation. And so he tells Isaiah from the very beginning, remember what's going on, Assyria is going to come down and attack the southern tribe. And he says this again, let me read it again. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. So he doesn't want Isaiah, and particularly all of God's people, to act in a certain way. Well, what way doesn't he want them to act? Well, he doesn't want them to act like the rest of Judah, who's not trusting the Lord. So this is the thing. With this tribe coming, or with this kingdom coming in, people are freaking out. They are afraid, because here's a massive army who is probably going to destroy Judah. At least that's what they're thinking. 
And it may be even be that they have a phobia, you know, because they're going to start to do some things that are irrational for people who are considered God's people. The first thing that he tells them, he says, don't say it's a conspiracy. Like, don't think that this is like some great conspiracy that's happening in the nation. You know, God's in control because God has allowed this to happen. It's not like God doesn't know that it is that it's happening. So he doesn't want Isaiah to freak out, basically, is what he's telling him. He says, don't make more of the situation than it is. Remember, throughout the prophecy of Isaiah, as we've been studying, that God has been warning Judah over and over again that they're going to be judged. And we've already seen that the judgment time is near. And so this is a result of that. It's not some great conspiracy. It's not something greater than that. It's God's judgment on Judah. And not only that, when he's talking about this not having a conspiracy, he doesn't want them to think that, hey, this, you know, don't think too highly of this situation. Like, it's the end, as we'll see in a moment, because it's not the end. It is just judgment on people. So he says, don't walk the way of these people. So uh, Isaiah, being the godly man that he is, he's like, Isaiah, don't act like everybody else. The rest of the people are are thinking it's a big conspiracy, that it's out of control. And not only that, he says, and you do not fear what they fear or be in dread of it. So don't be afraid what everyone else is afraid of in Judah. Don't be dreadful of it because you should know what's happening because you know the word of God and God has been speaking to you. Someone that doesn't know the Lord and the Lord has not been speaking to will tend to start to fear and freak out and start, you know, having maybe even paranoia, being paranoid of things. And so he's asking Isaiah, or telling, instructing Isaiah, don't be like that. Don't be afraid. Don't fear it. And he gives him what to do exactly. So let's, let's move on here to verse 11, or verse 13, I'm sorry. So he's saying, don't do this, but you are to act a different way. Look at verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. So instead of being so fear of this foreign nation, making them greater than they really are, being in such fear and awe of them, he's saying, no, you need to regard the Lord as holy. And if you remember when we studied a few chapters ago what holy meant, he was saying high and lifted up, exalted. So instead of holding up this fear that you have so high, no, you hold the Lord up high. And exalted because he is holy. Again, holy meaning high and lifted up. He is sovereign over all things. You should make much more about God than the thing that you fear because isn't God greater than anything else? Is what he's telling Isaiah. So keep your focus on the Lord's position, which is high, holy, exalted, and not what's going on around you. Right? Again, that's what fear is, or at least when it becomes a phobia, is you lift that thing so high in the air. It's so dreadful for you that it cripples you. And so he's telling Isaiah, don't act like that because that's what everyone else is doing in Judah. You don't be that way. And said, you hold the Lord up and regard him as holy. As a matter of fact, he goes on, he says, and he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. Don't fear this thing, but fear the Lord. Fear God. You should be dreadful of him. And we're going to talk about that a little more in a moment. He's really talking about a healthy fear, not like being, a scare, being afraid of God that he's going to like hurt you and harm you, but having that reverence of God and awe of God 
And it's okay to be afraid of the Lord in a certain sense. Remember what I said at the very beginning. What you fear is what controls you. So Scripture talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of all wisdom. When you have this healthy fear of God, then you'll do the right things. You'll follow Him. You'll be more fearful of Him, of displeasing Him, than following after the things of the world. So that is what he's talking about here. So regard the Lord is high, the Lord is holy, fear him and dread him. Moving on. And the result of this will be in verse 14. Then he, speaking of the Lord, he shall become a sanctuary. So if you have this right perspective of God, he's telling Isaiah, if you hold the Lord up as high and holy and you fear him and you dread him, he will actually become a sanctuary. The Lord will be your sanctuary, he's telling him. Well, what is a sanctuary? Well, it's a place of refuge, a place of peace. So the Lord, when you fear him reverently, you dread him reverently, he actually becomes a place of peace and refuge. The sanctuary was also the place where God dwelt, right? So it's this picture of you being with the Lord because you regard him as holy. You fear him and you dread him over anything else then you find peace and comfort and safety in your relationship with the Lord because now God is dwelling in the midst with his people. It's his sanctuary. And then he contrasts that, and he goes back to speaking about the rest of the nation who's not looking at the Lord that way. Look at the rest of verse 14. So then he says, Then he shall become a sanctuary to those who look at the Lord the right way, but to both houses of Israel, he's, now he's mentioning the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdom, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. What is he talking about here? If you don't find the Lord as a sanctuary, then the Lord is going to strike you. A rock to strike. Is that what it says again? Let me look at that one more time. Yeah, it's going to be a stone to strike. So the Lord strikes those who do not follow him. Right? And that's what he's going to do eventually to Judah. He's going to strike them. So he's going, to be, he's going to be opposed to them. That's what he's telling them. He's going to be opposed to you because you don't trust him. You don't follow him. So the Lord's going to be opposed to you. But when you trust and follow him, he's your sanctuary. He's your refuge. And not only that, he's going to be a rock to stumble over. You're going to stumble over the Lord. So the Lord's going to be an obstruction to you. You're trying to get away from him, and you're going to end up tripping over him. But then he describes him as a snare and a trap for all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the Lord's either going to be, you're either going to be on the Lord's side or you're not. There's no in-between here is what he's telling Isaiah, and by extension, telling the people. So all those who are thinking that they're getting paranoid and it's a conspiracy and they're afraid of the kingdom that's coming down to attack them and they're not trusting the Lord, they're putting their situation higher than who the Lord is, eventually not only will they you know, stumble because of that, but they're also going to have the wrath of God upon them. It's going to be multiplied. So that's the instruction that the Lord gives to Isaiah. And now verses 16 through 22, let's look at here. Isaiah now, in turn, is going to instruct his, his disciples. Look at what it says in verse 16. Bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. What is that talking about? Does that mean like we'll take this word that God has given Isaiah and hide it? 
Don't share it with anybody? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's talking about there is he wants them to affirm and attest the word, like bind it to their hearts, affirm it, attest to it. Right? They are to go out and be the witnesses to the rest of the nation of Judah. So he says, bind up the testimony and seal the law. Right? Hold fast to the word of God. And look at what he says in verse 17. And I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will even look eagerly for him. So Isaiah recognizes that the Lord is hiding his face right now in judgment because when judgment comes, the Lord's going to allow this to happen. So what does Isaiah do? He says, I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord even in the midst of hard times. Even when it might seem like the Lord is hiding his face from his people, Isaiah says, you know what? This is God's plan. He knows it. And so I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to stay strong. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay focused on the Lord. No matter what happens. Because you'll see in a few moments, the rest of those people that aren't trusting the Lord, they don't do that. They do something else. So he says, I'm going to wait for the Lord. And not only is he going to wait for it, the, the rest of verse 17, he says, I will even look eagerly for him. So as he's waiting, the picture is this. He's also looking forward to the time when God's blessing will return. Because although in one sense he's waiting, he's also eagerly anticipating the Lord's return of the blessings that are going to come. Because as you know, as we've been going through this book over and over again, there's always a, a light at the end of the tunnel for the nation, for that remnant that God is going to save. It's similar to us, right? We wait for the Lord right now in eager anticipation for what? For his return. The Lord's going to come back one day. And we eagerly wait for that. We're like anticipating that. We're like, come now, Lord Jesus. So that's something that we can relate to in that sense. So God, Isaiah's instruction to his disciples, again, is to attest and affirm God's word. And he gives an example. Well, while you do this, I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord in the midst of all this, even if this kingdom comes down, which it will eventually, and attack Judah. And I really like verse 18. Look at verse 18. So this is Isaiah speaking. He says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord have given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. He's saying, me and my children are signs and symbols. Isaiah had, was a, had a ministry given to him. He's not just sitting there doing nothing. He's serving the Lord. Remember, he said, I will go for you, Lord. Isaiah knows that he has a mission for the Lord, and he knows that his children from the previous chapters are also symbols and signs for the nation of Israel. Remember those two names of Isaiah's sons. His, uh, I'm going to butcher these. Sheer Jashub. Remember Jared Todd on him a few weeks ago about taking your son to work? You guys remember that? And what did his name mean? It meant a remnant will return. So it was a sign to the nation of Israel that, hey, a remnant's going to return. God's going to save a remnant. And then he had his other son uh, that John uh, taught last week, and his name was Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. What did that mean? Speedy to the blunder and hurrying to the spoil. 
That was his name. What did that mean? Well, it was predicting the coming attack of the Syrian Empire. So there was two signs there. It's like the Lord's going to save some, but there's going to be attacked by the Syrian Empire. And those two were signs for the nation of Judah. So Isaiah knew this. Again, look at verse 18. He says, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and wonders in Israel. So despite the things that were going to happen, Isaiah says, you know, we still have a ministry. Not only me, but my children have a ministry. It reminded me of Psalm 127, verse 4. Psalm 127, verse 4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. So Isaiah says, my children have a ministry. So he was training them up, I would suspect, to be ministers to the nation of Israel. And I think that's just a lesson for all of us who have children, that God has given us these children, not only to raise, but to raise in the ways of the Lord so that they might go out and minister. Right? Ultimately, that's what we're called to do. If they go and do it, well, ultimately that's up to them. But we're to train them. We're to kind of guide them and shoot them in the right way, right? And if they go off course and you get it back, maybe you bend them a little bit so make sure that they go straight. You know, sometimes you have to bend your children with discipline to make them go the right way and they keep going off the wrong way or you go back up and you get them again. So that's how Isaiah looked at his family. He's like, I'm training my children were signs, the nation of Israel. It's, it's, need to think that his whole family had a purpose and that's not unlike each and every one of us this morning who are God's people each and every one of us also have a purpose you might not know it yet it might take a while for you to understand it you might be rebelling against it but you have a purpose God has a purpose and design for each person I believe and I would just want to encourage those of you who said well my arrow I shot it and (laughs) it's not coming back you you know, they went, off, they went way off the rails. I would say you continue to be a witness to your child, even if they've left the home, even if they've stopped following the Lord. The Lord can still bring them back. So again, don't think, well, they left their house and I did a bad job and I didn't bring them to church enough or whatever the case may be. No, you, as long as you have breath, you continually be that witness to your child. So... Let's look on. So this was Isaiah's counsel to his people. He said, this is what you guys need to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what my family's going to do. And then look at verse 19. So he's going to counsel his disciples to do the right thing when the nation of Judah, who has this fear and phobia, start doing things that are unlike children of God. Look at what they do in verse 19. He says, when they say to you, so he's talking to his disciples, talking about people that would come to them for counsel. Look at what he says. When they say to you, consult the medium and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. So what's going on here? So Judah is so afraid of what is going on in their world, and they've so fallen away from the Lord their God that they're now resorting to seeking occult, the occult mediums, people who speak to the dead. They have the Lord God Almighty who's been speaking to them through the prophet Israel, but yet, or Isaiah, but yet they're going to Isaiah's own disciples and telling them, 
usually you go, you go to a prophet and, hey, seek the Lord for me and ask the Lord what he can do for us. Tell the Lord we're in trouble. But these people are saying, hey, go to a medium. Go to a spiritist. Do you guys get what's going on? The equivalent would be you coming to me instead of asking for prayer to God. I say, hey, let's go down to that tarot card reader that's right there on 3rd Street. And let's see what they have to say. Do you see how ridiculous that is? That's crazy. But that's what's going on here is they're so afraid of what's going on. They no longer trust the Lord for whatever reason. Either one, they don't like what the Lord is saying or they don't trust the Lord or they have absolutely no relationship with the Lord or they're in total rebellion that they're willing to go to a medium or spiritist, someone who speaks to the dead. And Isaiah says, should not a people consult their God? He's like, shouldn't Judah consult God? Why are they going to you and asking you to go to a medium or a spiritist? And he says, should they, should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? The spiritist and the, um, the medium are going to speak to dead people who are dead. They can't hear you. They can't conjure up grandma so-and-so or uncle so-and-so and ask them for advice. I'm sorry to say that, but once our relatives have passed away, they are now in, with the Lord if they were saved. And you cannot speak to them as much as comforting as that might bring to you. Or you can speak, but they can't hear you. They can't answer you. And so a medium is really speaking to nobody. He's saying, should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? You are living, Judah. You should be talking to the living God and not to a medium or a spiritist. And then you can fill in the blank or, or psychic, a tarot card reader, uh, somebody that tries to interpret your dreams. No, you have the living God that speaks to his prophets, Israel, and you are not consulting them. Instead, you are telling them to go to see mediums and spiritists. Look at verse 20 as he continues on. He says, to the law and to the testimony. He say, no, take them to the word of God. Don't take them to a medium or a spiritist. Take them to the word of God. And if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. What he's saying here is that you need to measure the counsel of the medium and the spiritist and measure it to the word of God. And you're going to find out that they don't speak the truth. There is no light in them. There's no light in them. Matter of fact, the Lord knew this so much that back in Deuteronomy 18, 9, 9 through 12, he told the nation of Israel before they were to go into the promised land to have nothing to do with such counsel. Look at Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 9. He says, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not lean to, or you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. So don't act like the nations when you move into their land. Don't do the things that they do. Well, what did they do? He tells you in verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his sons or his daughters pass through the fire. Basically, human sacrifice. You do not pass your children and give them up to human sacrifice 
like the nations do in the, na- in the lands that you're going to go into. Don't do that. Or one who uses divination, or one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. God wanted you to have nothing to do with occultic practices. If it, saying if it doesn't line up with the word of God, then you reject it. Because when you go to, to um, occultic mediums of the sort, he's saying you're no longer trusting God. You know, you know. So does that say you can't read your fortune cookie? I don't know. Those sometimes, I mean, I wouldn't trust what the fortune cookie says. What about your dreams? Can God speak to you in a dream? Well, I would be very leery of that and very careful of that. If your dream doesn't line up with the word of God, then I would just disregard it as you had something bad to eat. You know, or, or it's just something in your emotions that you're thinking about or dwelling on. We have to measure everything by the word of God. And that's why he says again in verse 20, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. There's no light in them. And you already know you don't have to go to a medium and go, well, I'm going to hear what they say and then line it up to the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 18 has already told us that you do not go to them. There's no need to go there at all. You have the testimony and the word of God. And again, they cannot communicate to the dead. The dead can't see us. The dead can't hear us. The dead are not our guardian angels. It is not until the resurrection of the dead that they fully become aware again. And that will happen when? At the second coming. When we will... When all the dead in Christ will rise, their bodies will rise, we'll meet the Lord in the air, and t- forever we will be. And that's what we look forward to. But again, the people of God have gone, they've drifted so far from him that they're asking the prophets of God to seek out wisdom from mediums and spiritualists. And God's going to tell them that their counsel, if you listen to it, will just lead to further gloom. Look at verses 21 through 22 as we close this section of the text. It says, they will pass through the land. This is speaking of those who have sought counsel. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out that they, when they are hungry, they will be enraged and cursed. Excuse me. They will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. You see, this false counsel can, might give you some short, uh, short-term help or make you feel better, but in the long run, it ultimately is going to fail. And that's what Isaiah is saying here in verses 20 and 21. So again, the nation of Israel, the southern tribe of Judah in particular, is being faced with something that's very fearful. And so again, God's counsel to them through the prophet Isaiah is to stay focused on the Lord. Don't become so paranoid and so afraid of what's going on, thinking that God is not in control, that you abandon God altogether. So, what does that mean to us today? I think those same things are very true to each and every one of us this morning. When trials and persecution arise in our lives, which they will... None of us are immune to trials. 
None of us are immune to persecution. But when they arise, what should we do? Well, I'm going to say the exact same things that are said here. Number one, do not respond as those who do not trust the Lord. If you're a child of God, then you should respond as a child of God. A child of God does not react with paranoia, right? You don't think, you don't become overwhelmed with the phobia of this world of what's going on. Now, not those phobias that I meant in the that I mentioned in the very beginning. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about that you become so paranoid of the whole world that you lose sight of God. And again, that can happen if you watch the news all the time. Now, I, I tell a friend of mine at work that, you know, he likes to watch the local news. I'm like, dude, I don't watch the local news because all they ever talk about is just all the bad things that are happening. That's it. They just, it's just like it's trying to create this paranoia. And you would think that the world is falling apart, which in a way it is, but that there's no control. That, that is God even watching what's going on? Well, maybe it is, as Isaiah said, that God, God is hiding his face for a while. You know, maybe we are reaping what we have sown all these years of pushing God out of our culture and our society. Right? So don't react with paranoia. Right? I would say don't respond like those who do not trust the Lord. And don't seek answers from ungodly authorities. There's no need. You're not going to call the psychic hotline and get help. Or you shouldn't if you're a believer. Why would you do that? You have the living word of God. And don't ask Pastor John or Pastor David or me to go with you to the tarot card reader. <laughs> Unless we're going to take some tracks and be a witness to them. Then we're... Then John will go with you. <laughs> Just kidding. Right, we're not going to do that. We're going to direct you to the word of God. That's what we're going to do. So what about the positive side? So don't respond like those who don't trust the Lord. If you're a child of God, how should you respond? Well, you need to stay focused on the Lord. No matter what's going on around us in this crazy world, in our crazy life. So how do we do that? Number one. I think I have nine points in closing, like a good pastor. Nine points. Remember God's character. Remember who God is. Remember what God does. Remember that God guides and protects his people, that God is holy. Those things should govern our lives. And if you're like, well, how do I get to know those things? How do you think you get to know those things? By learning more about God. How do you get to know about anybody in life? Learning more about them. Spending more time with them. The, more you, the closer you get to God, the more you understand who he is. By reading his word, this is where God is revealed to us. This, this is it. And the problem is our side goes, well, there's got to be something else. That's not the only way to God, right? That's what you hear nowadays. Well, that was written so, many, so long ago, it's not relevant anymore. Well, God has revealed himself in here, and that's a whole other discussion that I could, I, you know, if you want to have it, let's have it. But because, you know, we don't have another hour or so. Um, stay focused on God. Get to know him. When you know who God is and how he operates, then you can trust him more. And your life will be governed by those things. You won't be crippled with fear because you know how God operates. And you fear God more than anything else. So again, number one, remember his character. Number two, remember, this is part of his character, that he is in control of all things. 
Again, God is in control of all, th- is all things. And Isaiah knew that. That's why he says, you know what? I'm going to wait for the Lord while he hides his face. So he knew that the Lord was hiding his face. And he's going to wait eagerly for him to show himself again. Each and every one of us should have that same hope. Hey, when things are going bad, okay, God's doing something here. And I might not understand it, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to stay focused. And I'm going to look forward to when God reveals himself again to me. And again, in the grand scheme of things, we're all doing that now. We are focused on the Lord. We are eagerly waiting for his second coming, whether it happens in our lifetime or not. Thirdly, when you're going through trials and persecution, remember that the Lord is our refuge and our peace. He's our sanctuary. Find comfort in him. Find comfort in knowing who he is, what he does, his character. Again, the more that you do that, the more you will feel safe with him. Fourthly, fear him above anything else. Right? Have the fear of God in you. Right? If we're governed by fear, let us be governed by the fear of God. Right? Some of us need to be afraid of God a little bit more. Some of us might think too casually about God. Uh, God will forgive me. Uh, God won't do anything to me. He's merciful. You, like, you lean on his mercy and grace, and we forget about that. You know what? Just like a parent, he's going to discipline his child. Right? I remember uh, as a child, there were some things that I wouldn't do because I was fearful of my dad. Because my dad would lay the law down on me, like, you know, with his, with his hand back in, the, back in the day. Like when that was legal to spank your children. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, you'd be fearful, right? I'm sure some of us who are from my generation could tell you things about our parents that we didn't do because we were more afraid of what was going to I remember uh, one time, my dad didn't like, I played uh, football. Um, you know, tackle football. So in the off season, my dad wouldn't let me like skateboard or ride a bike because he didn't want me to get hurt because then I would be hurt when football season came around. And then he would also not like me to play tackle football unless it was, you know, like at the park. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. So what happened? I played tackle football. Uh, I fell on a sprinkler and split my head open. And this, this, Guy goes, hey, I'll take you home. I was like, no, I don't want to go home. I, was more, I wasn't worried about my head being split open. I was worried about what my dad was going to say for playing tackle football. Like, that's what you get. You shouldn't have done that, and now you're going to get disciplined. And I remember even my brother was like, yeah, we, we're not going to go home. We don't want to go home because we're more afraid of my father, of what he was going to do to me. Some of us need to have that type of fear, although I was disobedient, so not that type, but where you're obedient because you're afraid or fearful of what the Lord is going to think or do. And again, we don't want to like say, well, I'm scared of God, not that, but a healthy, reverent fear. Some of us are more afraid of what the world thinks than what God thinks about us. So we need to fear Him above all things, especially when we go through trials and persecution. Number five, rely on the Word of God. Again, when you're going through trials and persecution, the more you know about God, the more you know His Word and how he operates, so you can rely on it. You could trust it. Again, the nation of Judah, or the kingdom of Judah, they didn't rely on God's word. How do we know that? Because they were going to medium and spiritists. They were creating alliances with foreign nations. They were relying on their own strength. They were relying on their human kings, and not on God. Sixthly, wait on his plan to unfold. Again, God has a plan. God is working all things to the counsel of his will. 
We say that God works all things for his good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, then wait on it. Just because something bad is happening doesn't mean that all of a sudden God fell off the throne, that God is not watching, God is not overseeing, that God is not guiding and directing. Wait on his plan. Not only that, look forward to his reward. We know that in the end, God is going to make all things new. God is going to bring about his kingdom here on earth. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how gloomy it looks, no matter how severe the trial and persecution is, look forward to that reward in the end. What's going to happen? Stay focused on the Lord. Next, remember that you are a witness to this world. And I think that's something that we forget when we're going through hard times is that people are watching us. Guess what? Sometimes we go through hard times. Why? So that we can be a witness to somebody else later on. Like We could tell them how to get through it, how to suffer well. Right? Sometimes that's the reason we're going through hard times. But remember, despite what's happening, you are a witness for the Lord. You're a child of God. Isaiah's children were a child of God. Each and every one of us who is his child is a witness to the world around us. So remember that when you're going through trials and persecution. And lastly, let's test all counsel by the scriptures. When you're going through hard times and you're getting counsel, no matter who it's from, even if it's from one of the pastors here, check it out by the word of God. Does God's word line up with what this person is saying? And again, you don't even need to go to a medium because you're already told not to go there. So you don't need to go, well, they said something that only, only, I, you know, only I would know. No, God's word already forbids you to go there, so there's no reason to even go there. Even if they say something that is correct. You know, chalk it up to a lucky guess. But we need to take all things to the scriptures. Does this line up with scripture? Does this match scripture when we get counsel? You know, when someone counsels us to maybe do something that, you know, I don't think I should be doing that in this, you know, maybe you're going through a trial and somebody gives you some counsel that maybe is illegal but sounds kind of legal, you know, measure it up with the Word of God. What does God's Word say? Stay focused on the Lord. You know, and we're going to fail. We're not going to do all this all the time, but remember that the Lord is there to pick us back up and help us through this. And so are we as a church. You know, the members of this church are committed to building each other up, and that's what we do. So let's stay focused on the Lord when we go through hard times. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, again, we are thankful for your word for so many reasons, in particular this morning because your word counsels us and shows us the way we are to go. It gives us guidance and direction. And it reveals to us who you are, that you are highly exalted and lifted up, sovereign over all things, worthy to be trusted and worthy to put our faith in. And I pray this morning that each and every person would do that. I pray for those who may be struggling through trials and persecutions right now and may be tempted to look to the left or to the right and not stay focused on you. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And I pray for those, Lord God, who have maybe even become, come to the point where they're seeking counsel outside your will. 
I pray that you would bring them back and that they would see those signs and ahead of them that's telling them to return or to stop and give us courage as believers to counsel them in that way as well. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that one day you will return and exact justice and righteousness and those things will rule and reign in the world to come. We look forward to that day, Lord, but until that day comes, may we stay focused on you. And may we eagerly wait for your return. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.